You know, Elk 101 is just, it's, it's its own beast, and it just keeps rolling down the hill. I'm just trying to hold on to it. And I can remember I was on this rocky ridge, and all of a sudden right there in front of me, uh, a desert ram appeared. I'd really, really never seen one before. And just as soon as it appeared and stared me down, it turned, and in just a, a flash of the eye and a little bit of dust, it was gone. But I was so intrigued by where those animals lived that that started me on a journey that uh, definitely has changed my life. You know, we often hear from everybody, and I heard growing up as a kid, you know, oh, Weatherby, I've always wanted to own a Weatherby. We sat around the campfire right there at the kill site, and we probably sat there for, I don't know, hours, recounting the experience, loving it, living it over and over again, and just and just really taking in the moment. And so to me, you know, that's one. And then, you know, I've had other deer that I've hunted for a couple of years, and you finally put your hands on them, and there's something to be said for that too. But 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 I really enjoyed that experience and being able to experience that together. And so it's about who you're hunting with too at times. It's not just about the animal. That was one of those nights that I remember we even said it. We're like, will this ever happen again? to the RNA Outdoors podcast fueled by Ripcord Arrowrest and First Light Hunting Apparel. At RNA, we are public land DIY conservationists that love to share our passion for the outdoors. So join us and our team as we interview professionals in the industry to share insight knowledge that helps make hunters and anglers more successful. listeners, subscribers, and fellow outdoorsmen and women. This is your host, Lucas Paw, and I'm excited to tell you about some of the sponsors that continue to help make this podcast not only happen, but grow and thrive in this digital world of audio content. This podcast is brought to you by Ripcord Arrowrest, the bow hunter's number one fallaway rest on the market. Ripcord is known for 100% full-time arrow containment and their patented drop-dead brake system that eliminates launcher bounce back. Best of all, Ripcord is backed by their rock-solid guarantee. If the original owner has a part break for any reason, it will be repaired or replaced at no charge. And did I mention? Ripcord is located in southwest Montana, where all their products are made with pride in America. Check them out at ripcordrs.com and on their social media feeds. This podcast is brought to you by First Light Clothing and Hunting Apparel. Born in the Rockies in central Idaho, First Light's mission is to create simple yet proven versatile gear that provides comfort and performance in any situation while working to promote the pursuit of ethical hunting and stewardship. I recently joined the First Light Pro Staff team and have continued to be impressed year after year in their innovations in engineering and merino wool fabrics. 
Ten years ago, they started putting out wool fabrics with camel patterns, and immediately this changed the game. Since then, they offer multiple layering systems and kits in various proprietary patterns and continue to raise the bar with their competition. Find them online at firstlight.com or under their social media feeds. Go farther, stay longer. have to walk home i got some beer in the fridge <laughs> candy please come pick up your husband he can't walk actually i've got some good makers mark too but we never did uh never did crack that i've also got a thousand dollar bottle of blue label <laughs> black label thanks to rick so maybe when rick comes in may for a to z i'll have him stay here and i'll crack that M- for him. make it make him drink it no that was <laughs> That was a good deal. Um, oh my gosh, that's just too much. Hey man, welcome back. It no is, way, are we already back again? It is November 29th. It is raining out. It is Black Friday. It's the day after Thanksgiving. And um, yeah, we're just uh, we're enjoying some cooler weather and a little moisture, which is um, what, we, what we really needed on our hunt, which we spoke ago. about in our uh, in our wrap up of our blacktail hunt but we'll take any water we'll take any rain here on the coast for sure but uh good, yeah actually good to have we, you back. we got we got almost an inch the other day and it looks like we've had almost another inch it's it's actually forecasted for about the next 10 days that we're going to have a little bit of precipitation yeah. and for hunting purposes man this is actually just about as perfect as it gets you know we don't want too much you want enough where it just soaks into the ground doesn't get too crazy yep and it goes on from from day to day building building as we go yep but that's not why we're here right now no we want to talk about some fun stuff that we've been experiencing that that we keep running into people that uh that don't use tripods and and actually do glass but their abilities are are hampered by by not doing some things and for me um this all started for me 25 years ago and it was interesting i was actually selling advertising with the mule deer foundation and I ran on to a gentleman named Dwayne Adams. And Dwayne probably isn't going to ever listen to this podcast, but he's going to get full credit for my experience. At that time, uh, we were running, you know, basically any binoculars you can get your hands on. But his whole claim was, you know, using optics on a tripod, trying to get, you know, the 15 power binoculars at a very minimum and gritting out stuff. So the funny part is you and I, this last uh, hunting trip, had my buddy Rick, who's a very accomplished hunter. Yep, shot some nice deer in his time. And uh, he had his old 10-power Zeiss binoculars, which there's nothing wrong with those Zeiss binoculars. They're good optics. But uh, we kind of we we worked him over a little bit, like, what the hell are you doing? Yeah. And why don't you, why don't you give this a try? And what, what, what did he say to you about that? Yeah. So, you know, we, and I, and just to kind of preface that, you know, you and I have been, um, you know, using optics for a lot of years. And I think the biggest investment anyone can make is good optics. Right. And I've always said, buy 
buy the best you can afford. Which right? is if, challenging, if right? You can't, if you can't afford a, a 2,000 pair of binoculars, get it. That's a lot of money to spend $2,000. But um, if you can afford to spend $800, then buy whatever you can buy that's the best within that price range. Correct. That'll get you what you need, right? Um, and and but over time, I think binoculars are an investment. You buy a set, you realize, okay, now I want, you know, I went from eights, I went to tens, now I want twelves, or I want fifteens, and you slowly work your way up to a point where you build somewhat of an arsenal of binoculars, um, <laughs> an arsenal of binoculars, range finding binoculars, which are a whole different level, and then obviously spotting scopes is a whole other piece to this as well. But um, yeah, but you and I have. Um, you know, been in this kind of in this game for a while and, and we get it, we understand it. And, you know, we do it normally. We sit down, yeah. we pop out a tripod, we put on our stable light, we put on our tens or fifteens and we're glass. And whereas, you know, most of the guys we hunt with are offhand and, you know, we're saying, okay, there's a deer there. And they're like, where? Just on that ridge on the canyon. Okay. I see him. Okay. Oh, there's another deer there. So we're picking out deer, we're picking out movement. And, and that's, that's the beauty and the science behind it is, is when you're still and you see movement, you're going to see stuff. But Rick did explicitly say that, uh, you know, I've been hunting a lot of years and he goes, you know, I've got these, these old, you know, 10 power binoculars that if you do the math over the 30 years I've had them, there's a pretty good payout on them, which no question, right? Any, any German optic is, is a solid optic, but um, he did learn that even putting his old tens on a tripod and then using the setup systems we had, um, you find more deer and that's, you can listen to any podcast around glassing and optics. Jay does a ton of them with, 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 uh, the outdoorsman, Cody Nelson. Yep. We've heard ones he's done with, with, uh, with Dwayne Adams as well. Um, hands down, they talk about it, right? Put your optics, whatever you have on a tripod. If it means a bungee cord on a $10, <laughs> you know, tripod, do it, stabilize it. Uh, and you're going to find, you're going to pick up more game and, and it's true. It's very, it's very simplistic, really. And you know, what's funny is uh, back to that, you know, buy what you can afford, right? Um, if you can only afford a $400 pair of binoculars, hey, that's all you can afford. We totally understand that. It's no different than buying a rifle or buying a scope or anything else like that. But you know what I've found is you can go on like Craigslist or some of the hunting forums, and sometimes you could find a really good deal for a pair of binoculars. Now, maybe they're 10 years old, mm-hmm. but as long as their lenses and the coatings are still in good shape, they're good product, right? Yeah. A good pair of Suaro binoculars, you know, they never hardly ever lose value. You know, same thing with the Leica range-finding binoculars. They, they hardly ever lose value. I mean, sometimes you find used ones, they're only a couple hundred dollars cheaper than buying them brand mm-hmm. new. Yep. But the like, silly part about this is you take a mid- or low-level pair of binoculars, and then you buy somebody's old camera tripod that they've had for 20 or 30 years. I mean, there's a couple out there, um, Manfrotto. You know, Suray, um, I like the Outdoorsman, you know, there's there's many other ones out there. But some of them, you can go on like a Craigslist locally and find some camera guy that's getting rid of all of his stuff. And you might be able to pick up a tripod for a little of nothing. Yeah. Now, we can get into the carbon fiber lightweight for packing way back in the country. I actually, and you kind of pick on me a little bit, because when I showed up, you asked me, well, how many tripods did you bring? And I personally brought four tripods with me, right? I have 
what I call my truck tripod that I use 90% of the time when we're working out of the truck and I don't want to pack it anywhere. Then I have my pack pipe tripod, which has got all kinds of different equipment on it that I pack into the country. And then I have a, a carbon fiber and then I, of course, have the backup to the backup to the backup because it never fails like my buddy Rick didn't have one. Mm-hmm. So yeah. we we can hook somebody else up. And in that case, you know, one evening Rick was borrowed one of my tripods and he actually attached his old binoculars to it. And he told me, he goes, you're not going to believe this, but he goes, I've got a buck. And he goes, and it's way far away. And he was looking at it with his tins. And he goes, I know it's a buck. I can't tell how big it is. And I said, where is it? And he said, blah, blah, blah. And I scanned my 15s over there. And I'm like, holy crap. I said, that's a booner. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, and he picked it up, couldn't see a lot out of it because of his optics. But at the same time, he told me, he goes, if I would have just been standing here freehanded, he goes, I'd have never seen that deer. Sure. Never seen that deer. So just by putting any pair of binoculars on a tripod and stabilizing it, your your effective range, I would say, goes from, you know, 300 to 500 freehanding to 400 to 800, yeah, you know. Probably doubles with, easy. With, without a doubt. So, yeah. you know, guys that are just getting into long-range shooting or just getting into long-range optics and looking, buy yourself a tripod, find some system to put a platform on the tripod and stabilize yourself. One of the fun things that you and I have talked about numerous times is slow down. How many times have we showed up on a spot and you and I are both classing as fast as we can, covering as much country to start off with, but then after you get that first initial kind of wax on, wax off look, Dwayne always said you need to grid it out. You start at the top of the mountain, you go all the way across. You go down one level, you go all the way back across. You go down one level, you go all the way across. After you get done gridding it that way, then you go up and down over that same thing. Yeah. And when you slow down, the best part for me is when you and I were on that last hunt, and I slowed down, and I'm looking probably two, almost three miles away with 15 power binoculars, and I take my hands off the binoculars, and I'm looking... And I went, something just moved. My brain said, something just moved. And I actually said to you, I said, I got something. I said, it's on this ridge line. And I kind of explained to it. And I went, okay, it just moved again. And now I could see it. And it was a damn coyote. Mm-hmm. And like yeah, and you thought and it was a deer. I think yeah. you had your 10s and I put my 15s up. I'm like, well, it's a coyote. But, it was like two and a half freaking see, miles away. You can see the movement. And when I think about mounting optics on a tripod, I think there's a couple different benefits. You know, first, it does give you the ability to spot that movement, which when you have your optics on a tripod, it takes the shaking out, which, which you're, when you're freehanding it, you know, is really provides you know that difference which i think is important um even sometimes you know if your heart rate's up you know if your pulse is going that can even make your binoculars shake so anytime you can take that element of of um you know i guess weakness out of the system 
um, you're you're going to be much more an advantage there. And it's something as simple as I mean, right? You're looking at things. You're looking for head turns, antler turns, ear flicks. Um, you Glisten know, off a horn yep. or off the coat of a body of yep, a deer. Seeing deer like chewing their cut if their mouth's moving. I mean, you're looking for all those movements. You'll never see those movements if you're doing a freehand because it's almost impossible for you to lock onto that animal. So, and with that point too, just like you said, if you're physically holding onto your binoculars and looking at a long distance, even when it's on a tripod, you need to let go because, like you mentioned just there, sometimes your heartbeat. On your binoculars, when you're holding on to the tripod or doing whatever, yeah. you know, you're, you don't realize that it's actually moving. Yep. Not very much, but it is just moving. Enough. So just relax and pull yourself away from it and let it set. And the other reason I think, so one is being able to spot movement. I mean, that that, that is part of the game-changing element of this. The second piece is, is, you know, think about how many times where... You're sitting there glassing offhand, right? You just get to a point and you see a buck <laughs> and I turn over and you tell your buddy, you know, hey, oh, I just right. I just glassed something. Then you go back to find that spot and you never find it. Oh my god. And with that binoculars on a tripod, um, you know, if you sit and you lock in, and I was even talking about it, I think, in a previous podcast where you know, I had glassed up a couple bucks to the right of us where that buck I had stalked on the night before i said yeah there's those two bucks over to the right just below that manzanita bush you're like where oh my god yeah so i went over I and lost. i sat behind your binoculars i set your binoculars up put them on the spot and i'm seeing the deer clear as day and you're looking and i'm like i can't see them and then you saw one of their head turn then you realize okay there's that deer so being offhand you yeah. probably would have never been able to see those bucks never and now so, that was a really low light situation too and you knew where the deer morning. were the the day before yeah but i swear to god when you said they were there i had my binoculars on that spot twice but i never saw it and then you put my binoculars on there and i looked through the binoculars i'm like i still don't see them and then all of a sudden the one moved and i was like oh my gosh yeah that was a hell of a spot on your part, but if I would have just been cruising, or especially if I wouldn't had a tripod, there's no way I would have seen those deer. Yeah. No way. Yeah, and I think, you know, so even beyond that, so, you know, spotting deer, locking on the deer with your binoculars, but in, in the, to me, the, the third element is, is in the digiscoping world now, a lot of us are taking pictures, we're okay, videoing. You're, you're way above me and, on that. And there's, there's no way, and, and so, to some extent, you can see the difference um, when you've got binoculars offhand trying to do the video versus putting them <laughs> on a tripod. But um, it's night and day. And, uh, you know, you can start to pick apart deer when they're sitting on a tripod, your binoculars versus doing it offhand. So I, I th- to me, those are just a few reasons why, you know, putting glass on a tripod is, is to me, a game changer uh, in kind of the world of what we're doing. And, and, and it's like you said, you know, you and I, we run Leicas, so we run, we run good glass, right? We run, we run range finding binoculars. Um, I've got a Swarovski spotting scope. So yeah, we've, we've got between the two of us, tens of thousands of dollars in, in, in optics, right? Yeah. And everyone says, well, do I have to buy the $2,500 range finding binocular? Well, you don't have to, but here's to me where the difference is between those in the $500 vortex is that first 30 minutes in the morning in the gray light and in the, in the last 30 minutes of the day. That to me is the biggest difference where those binoculars, yeah. because during the day, um, 
and generally you look through all of them, even at a, at a, at a sporting show and you put all of them up and you got, you know, you got the Leicas, you got the Swaros, you got Mavens, um, you got Vortex, you got all these different companies. You're looking loophole through all of them and they all look the same inside a building. They look fantastic because all the lighting is a similar, but again, the difference to me is, is first thing in the morning, you're sitting there glass and you see, okay, there's a buck, you know, there's a deer and those, those lenses and the, and the filters and the, and the coatings and those lenses pull in so much more light than most of your other optics do. To me, that's the difference. Well, and you know, I mean, I, I like, because of long range shooting, I like the range finding binoculars, right? Um, everybody's always asked, I run, you know, the Leica tens, the new HDs that have the, the chip technology in them, uh, for my seven mag. And then I, I really have come to fall in love with the 15s. Now the 15s aren't as te- technologically as advanced, um, but I've owned both of these. Geez, now going on probably 10 years. So when I look at the money that I spent for them, uh, really dollars and cents, they've been phenomenal mm-hmm. for me. And what I like about the range finding technology is. Sometimes what I find is I could reverse range find things too. So say you shoot something and you know where it is and you know where you were at. Well, then you hike down into a place and you get on that same side of the hill. Well, everything looks different, right? So my ability with a range finder is that I could turn around a range where I was standing or shooting from and be able to go, oh, well, I'm, I'm 80 yards off of where I was. So I'm not in the right place. Now, the beautiful part about good binoculars is just like you said, it's that low light opportunity, but more importantly than anything, I think is that tripod. I mean, I don't care how great a pair of binoculars you have. If you're freehand in it, it's, you are at a huge deficit. Yeah. Huge deficit. Yeah. So with that being said, weather, you know, we had just talked about, the situation in glassing where you're actually touching your tripod and the movement that you have just by your body, you know, be it whether or not you're, whether or not you're breathing hard because you just race down a hill or up a hill to get to a place and you set everything up and you're touching it and it's moving. Mm-hmm. What about wind? You know, we've talked about wind because we had some pretty crappy experiences this last hunting trips. Yeah. With hard winds wind makes it tough and not only do animals not like wind we don't like wind either and trying to glass in those scenarios makes it really difficult because you can't get your system stable enough to really lock in on anything you might be able to see a deer moving but you might not even be able to tell the difference if it's a buck or a doe when it's windy now a little couple tricks though when you've got wind and you've got a tripod okay i carry uh, a backpack on right well, my carbon fiber tripod, which is actually one of the heavier ones because it's really meant for more of a working off of a close range thing instead of backcountry, but it's got a hook on the center, center post. post. Yeah. So for those people that are like, oh man, I've had trouble with this and I can't keep that tripod, take your backpack off, attach your backpack without it being on you, of course, to your actual tripod. That will create stability in your tripod where your tripod will be more steady just by having that on there, right? I mean, 
10 mile an hour wind, you think, oh, this is no big deal until you're like looking into the 10 mile an hour wind and your eyes are watering and you, you know, have all kinds of issues, Mm -hmm. which you and I were talking about that one morning. We wanted to glass that one hillside because we knew the deer were going to be there and we found deer, but (laughs) couldn't really tell. We couldn't tell what they were because the wind was too damn bad. Yeah. So the wind, the wind clearly is one thing and you get, when you got strong gusting winds that, that makes it tough, but yeah, that is one thing. If you've got that hook on the center post, that's a great thing. But also when you think about weather, think about hot days, right? And when you're glassing and, and looking through optics, you know, on a hot day, deer's probably not going to be sitting on a south facing slope facing the wind or facing the sun, right? They're going to probably be on a north facing ridge. They're going to be in the shade of a tree somewhere or somewhere um, in shaded areas that are not really sunny. And I think that's when I think about glassing when we're hunting in, in our conditions here in the summer for, for deer, that's what I'm looking for. I'm looking under the canopies of oaks. I'm looking in shaded areas. I'm looking for deer that stand up and move, you know, 10 feet on the backside of the tree just to get out of the sun as the sun starts to, you know, move periodically throughout the day and arc over. So that's what I'm looking for uh, in those hot times of the year. Um, Well, and we're kind of unique, uh, no different than Nevada and Arizona and New Mexico, right? Where you could be hunting in conditions that are 100 degrees, right? But those are definitely times when good steady binoculars pays off huge, right? You're looking on a hillside. It's the shaded side of the hillside. You may be looking straight into the sun, which for those people running optics, you realize real fast that is horrid. So a couple different things on that. I mean, one, you can go and and stand next to a tree where you're in the shade, right? So you're looking into the shaded side, but you've actually, you're set up in the shade Mm -hmm. where your optics are protected from the sun. Two, you know, look at angles, right? Moving from different place to different place, getting a different angle on the same hillside gives you different views into the canopy and then once again slowing down slow 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 if you set up and you're looking at 800 plus yards and you're looking at one grid square on the side of a mountain and you just look at it for one second and you move you don't give yourself enough time to see that deer turn his head or you don't give it enough time, even if a deer standing feeding, for him to move his head up and down. Mm-hmm. That time is precious, right? And you're like, oh, man, want to hurry, want to hurry, want to find the next deer, want to find the next deer. But you're moving so fast. You're not giving your brain the opportunity to see that one bit of movement. And, you know, I've talked and laughed about this. I mean, if you could find a covey of quail at like 800 yards on the side of a hillside Mm -hmm. or if you could find a black crow a black crow or a bobcat or a fox or a coyote or you know something that you go geez that's that's one quarter or one tenth the size of a deer you should be able to see a deer's tail flicker you should be able to see a deer's tail twitch you should be able to watch their ears do the you know, the radar movement thing mm-hmm. or them turn their head and you could see a gleam off of their horns 
or something like that. Yeah. And that is so powerful that hopefully anybody that's listening to this is going, oh my God, (laughs) you know, that one little tidbit of information may save me or may, you know, help me find that one big buck that I've known lives on this damn hill, but I've never been able to figure out where he's at. Well, now you grid it out, move a hundred yards, grid it out, move a hundred yards, grid it out and keep looking until you find him. If he's, if you watched him walk on the other side of the hill and he wasn't spooked, he's probably right there. Yep. For sure. So, so let's say you're going in and you got to go ultralight and you're going to dump some weight. So one of the things you end up not taking is a tripod. So let's say you're going in super light, pack light, and um, you know you don't have the opportunity to put it on that platform. So freehand glassing, there are some tactics and techniques you can use. It's True. not perfect, um, but but the scenario from from using a tripod to going freehand. Um, is still possible. One of those is kind of using, you know, your elbows, putting your elbows on your knees. So sitting down, absolutely, putting your elbows on your knees and freehand kind of resting your elbows there. Um, what it allows you to do uh, is really sit in a position where you can take some of the shake out. Um, it's, it's not going to be clearly like it is on a tripod. But Brings it back from instead of 400 to 800, you're like 500 and under sure. in my mind. Yeah. Yeah. So, so that's a tactic if you're able to sit maybe sit in a shaded area and, and get your elbows on your knees. Also using the brim of your hat, which can help close out Amazing some of the how, light. how that helps. Just yeah. Even the stability by holding your binoculars and holding the edge of your brim of your hat, because your hat's secured to the back of your head, right? Correct. That That is amazing how that stabilizes things. Yep. So, I mean, that's an opportunity. Or if you're a bow hunter, and I actually watched you doing this um, in the last <laughs> couple of days when we were when we were hunting on our recent hunt, is using um, the limbs of your bow or even the tops of your cam where you're sitting your glass in that fold, setting your bow down. Yep. Or on our platforms, we've got, you know, those stabilizers that, that collapse up and down. You can pop the stabilizer up and set your, set your glass there as well. Again, yep. not perfect, um, but, you know, it's one of those things when you see someone doing it, you're like, man, that's a pretty good idea especially when i don't have my tripod but you're trying to depict even at a few two three hundred yards picking apart something and whether or not it's a buck whether or not it's a legal buck or not um so those are just a couple tactics that that can be used something else i like to do is if i'm next to a tree or if i'm by a rock i'll use that plat that platform so i'll set my binoculars up on a tree set them on there or if i'm glassing on a rock laying on my stomach setting my glens there uh and because i'm always trying to digiscope i'm always trying to take pictures videos i'm trying to break deer down i'm trying to find okay this is the same buck i saw this day always trying to have as much knowledge as i can and if i don't have my tripod um those are kind of my next two tactics or techniques i would use to try to to try to stabilize my my glass so adding adding to that um so situation that we just were kind of referring to is we decided this is going to be a full-on press we're going down into the bottom it's not going to be an easy one we may kill something so then of course you're thinking crap more stuff to pack out on top of that you know already shooting a bow that's not heavy by technical terms but it's definitely awkward so i decided okay i'm going to leave my tripod and and that is a tough decision because 90 percent of the time folks I do not leave my pack tripod. I take it with me everywhere, and I and I sacrifice something else. I'm like, okay, don't need an extra bottle of water or don't need an extra peanut butter jelly sandwich, 
right? Yep. But taking the tripod. Well, in this case, I had realized, okay, we're going to drop into this bottom. Our effective glassing range is probably going to be four to 500 yards at the very outside. Most of it's going to probably be under, you know, two, 300 yards. So I'm not going to take my tripod and my stabilite. I'm going to downsize from my 15 power binoculars, which I noticed that you're like, oh my God, you're, you're not taking your 15s with you. I actually downsize from my 15s to my 10s because when I get in close range. Yeah, you like having the. I like having the 10s, 10s. way better than the 15s, but 90% of the time we're running 15s just because it, it, it allows you to break the animal down. Even, even at 200 yards, you know. You were like, oh, well, that's that three by four with the little crabby front with the bad eye guard, you know, and I'm like, oh, crap, it just looks like a framed deer, yeah, you know, but what I would add to this is a walking stick, okay? Now, amazingly enough, you know, they make carbon fiber walking sticks. Of course, I broke one this year, which really sucked. Which is why you only have one now. Which is why I only have one. I had two before. Yep. But... A walking stick, right? Now, since we were bow hunting, it makes it a lot more difficult in my mind because the bow is such an awkward tool. It's not like a rifle you could strap to your backpack, even though you can strap a bow to your backpack. But you strap a bow to your backpack, and you're pretty much guaranteeing that if a deer jumps out at you at 100 yards that you're not going to have an opportunity, right? But a walking stick, amazingly enough, that when you're wanting to do freehand that's not freehand right you put your walking stick down get down on your knees put your binoculars on your walking stick kind of do the you could lock your elbows into your chest or onto your knees and that gives you that tripod effect right you got your stick out in front you got your knees next to it you got your elbows on your knees Mm -hmm. you got your binoculars on that it's amazing the downside to this just like we talked about earlier Hey, I see a deer. You turn to your buddy. Yeah, I saw a deer. He's right. And then you look back and you're like, oh, crap, he's right somewhere. Somewhere where I thought I saw him. You know, he was up on that hillside. Well, I still remember you saying, oh, there's two deer on the side of the hill. And I'm like, where? And you're like, oh, the the dead snag tree that's really prominent in the middle. And I'm like, shit, there's 10 dead snag trees that look prominent in my eyes. Yeah. You know, I only saw one, but you know, but but you were also locked in, right? Your binoculars were locked in on a tripod and here I'm freehanding stuff, trying to pick it up. Just doesn't work. Correct. So, yeah. So I think, you know, the moral of the story, at least from us is, 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 you know, buy the best glass you can afford buy the best tripod you can afford. You don't have to spend 400 bucks and buy an outdoorsman or, 300 on a you know manfrotto or a slick those are great photography tripods they work great for our application but get a tripod right get a get a platform to put your binoculars on uh, and and just start looking just put your eyes through those binoculars you're going to find more game period so uh, once again i challenge everybody anybody that's listening to this that's never used a tripod and a pair of binoculars if you're just free rain free handing it I challenge you right now, go on to Craigslist, find a $40 tripod, which sometimes, you know, you can find some pretty damn great ones. I found my brother, Manfrotto, mm-hmm. along with the actual pistol type head, which was really popular 20 years ago, for, it was like 200 bucks. Yeah. I challenge you, I don't care if you buy the cheapest one out there, buy the cheapest one out there, 
freaking put your binoculars on it, go in your backyard and look on a hillside and try to find a, a bird of some sort. When you do that, and you find it now. Take them off the tripod and try to find that same bird free-handed. Yeah, yeah. We've been, I think, just throughout the course of of a lot of years and a lot of knowledge from from our peers, our friends. You know, people tend to, you know, question. You know, hey, why is it you do it that way? Or, or, man, I really learned something when I was hunting with you guys. You know, I see you guys use these tripods, and so there there there's an art and a science behind it and i've always said that about glassing i think you know the the science behind glassing is is you know you're using your 10s using 15s but the art to me is is being able to find animals and and the people that use platforms with tripods tend to find more animals and at the end of the day that's the bottom line right and uh, there's always the application where you're on the move put your glass up real quick okay the buck's still in that area generally but when you're sitting and want to actually focus on a point at first light or right at dark um, towards the end of the day um, the best place to be is sitting behind glass and and just picking apart a mountainside well and you mentioned it there and you mentioned it earlier it's the first 30 minutes and the last 30 minutes and i mean come on the biggest buck that i personally saw i saw twice in the last 30 minutes of of the hunting light and should I race down on the a second time that I saw him? Yeah. Did I think I was going to see him again? Yeah. Did I ever see him again? No. Would I have seen him if I wouldn't have had a tripod? Hmm. That's a good question. I mean, both times I saw him, one time he was probably 900 to 1,200 yards away. And the next time that I saw him, he was... I think 652. So even at 600 yards in low light conditions, seeing something naked eyed or seeing something freehanded, a pair of binoculars, if a deer doesn't move and you're freehanded a pair of binoculars, it looks like a gray blob Mm -hmm. with 10 powers at 650 yards. Now, if you were 200 yards away from it, total different story. But that's not normally the case. When has anybody been dumb lucky enough to be right in the middle of a Boone and Crockett animal, you know, and not have blown the opportunity, right? Most of the time, you got to locate them. You got to figure out where they're going. Try to get in front of them. Let them come to you, you know, however that works. Um, But once again, you know, try a tripod. I mean... (laughs) I mean, I don't care if it's the cheapest Craigslist tripod that you got out there, right? Or go to a pawn shop. Pawn shops have a ton, a ton of camera equipment nowadays. Mm -hmm. A lot of the stuff that was used 20 years ago, everybody that was running, you know, Nikon cameras that weren't digital and that kind of stuff, right? That stuff's piled in a pile. And guess what? There's tripods piled in a pile, too, and sometimes you could get them for a song. They're just wanting them out of inventory, you know? They're willing to pretty much give them away, but I will tell you, always check the connectors. If you're buying a tripod, that's one of the most important things. If They, they primarily have two types, right? It's a screw type, which locks it into to, to not being able to move. And then you have the type that that's really what do they call that when it, when you uh, 
you know, like, like the, my carbon fiber, fiber one. So you have on the pinch type that basically locks on the it legs. In. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So there's like the collapsible style screw, Correct. screw type ones or there's, yeah, like the folding ones that lock in place. So, I mean, I really like the lock in place ones because my experience on the other ones is sooner or later something doesn't work properly on it. But either way, you know, test them out and make sure that they slide easy. Uh, make sure they don't make dinging noises every time you open and close them. Make sure they don't do goofy things. Um, do they have a plate? Do they have multiple plates come with them, right? Then you can put a plate on your binoculars, one on your spotting scope. That way you can just easily pop them off and on as needed. Yeah, the quick detach plates are really, actually, that's <laughs> that's funny because um, most likely if you buy one at a pawn shop or on Craigslist, you're going to get one plate. Or you may just get the legs and no head. Well, a tripod head, a good tripod head, the last one I bought was like 250 bucks for the tripod head. Then it was $449 for the legs. So, I mean, I'm talking 700 bucks for for the pair, which everybody's like, oh, my God, that's more than I spent on my rifle. I'm like, yeah, well, that's the reason I'm telling you to go to the pawn shop, go mm-hmm. to the camera shop, go to the... Just you know, for entry level, yeah. Go to the Craigslist and just look for something. But that is one of those things where if you get a permanent head on a pair of cheap legs, right, there's no changing it out. A lot of times they will not have detachable plates. And what Lucas is talking about is quick detachable plates. A lot of times you could buy one good high quality head, one good high quality set of legs, and then you'll buy three plates, one for your binoculars, one for your spotting scope. And then, of course, a one backup. Your, I keep one for my camera, too. So, well, yeah. You, but either way, yeah, have well, a backup. You always need a backup because having one is having none and having two is having one. Correct. So, but, yeah, those are these are all things that we challenge you to do. I mean, optics is optics. One of these days, hopefully, maybe on this next run, you know, to some of the shows, we can get one of the optic gurus to uh, good. do a podcast with us and talk about different qualities and you know, 10s versus 15s and, and different types of tripods. But, folks, give a tripod a try. It's, yeah. I guarantee you, if you've never used one, it's going to change your hunting world. Well, I think a lot of the pictures that I post and pictures you see a lot of other folks posting when they're using optics is they're they're on some type of tripod with a, with a platform system where they're glassing. And when you think about hunting coos deer or areas where there's, you know, thick... And I just think of our blacktail, but but even like coos deer and, and a lot of that thick vegetation, those deer are small enough as it is. Trying to pick them out in some of that, you know, that hickory and mesquite, and and using that system and that platform will will find you more animals. It's it's, I mean, I, I wouldn't say anything's guaranteed, but it's pretty dang guaranteed that anytime you put you know optics on a tripod, you're gonna you're gonna see more game. Even if they're ten powers, I, I mean, I run tens on tripod all the time, all the time. And I, I spot more things than most people, mm-hmm. but, you know, I mean, I've been doing it a little longer than most people. So, um, yeah, it's one of those great things. I actually, you, you mentioned um, videoing or taking a picture or phone scope. Surprised you didn't give phone scope a plug. You know, they should be one of your sponsors as much as you use that mm-hmm. damn thing. But um, I was going to say f- a friend of mine just sent me a video footage of a deer running. And you could tell by the frame of this mule deer, he's, he's special, mm-hmm. right? He's, I'll show it to you afterwards, Lucas, but he's a special deer. But I could also tell 
he's freaking freehanding it. Mm-hmm. Now, maybe that's all the opportunity he had. Maybe he didn't have an Just opportunity. But yeah. guess what? We could all go, ooh, that's awesome. It could be a three-point as far as we know with junk on it. Because all you could really tell is it looks like a big damn deer. Big frame deer. Now, he tells me it was like an aha buck. You know, the this is what we've been waiting for our whole life. Of course, it was a day before season in Nevada. So, mm. but regardless, it, we can't tell from the footage. Yeah. Yet, I watched you on this last hunt film two smoker bucks locked up fighting and you were actually freehanding, but we were at close distance, and you were running through your your phone scope on your your binoculars, and then I think you were leaned against a tree, kind I was, of yeah. trying to stabilize things. And turned out okay, but had I had it on a oh tripod, my, would have been. We had talked next about level. that after after it all broke up. You're like, oh, if I'd have had that on the tripod. I mean, literally, that kind of footage is the kind of footage that that makes the blooper reels or makes somebody's TV show. And that's really where I learned a lot of my stuff too, is, you know, back 20 years ago when we were video doing video footage of all the hunts, trying to do a TV show and that kind of thing. If you freehand it, it's never going to make TV ever. No different than if you freehand it, it's probably never going to make a magazine because freehand just doesn't happen. I mean, even at a hundred yards, freehanding something, you can't you can't hold it still enough to make good quality footage. Mm-hmm. But you put it on a tripod, take a picture with it. Sometimes, even on your iPhone, you can take a picture that would be an eight by ten glossy yeah, cover shot, and you go, "That is amazing." Yep. Well, good stuff. I think uh, hopefully. You know, folks learn maybe a little something or little tactic that we use. I'll make sure to put in the uh, in the uh, the photo for the podcast a picture of us using our platforms and kind of how we do that. I got some good photos of us on our last deer hunt, sitting underneath glass on tripods, and uh, yeah, again, it's something that we use. It's not for everybody, and it's you know maybe others have different tactics they use, but I think we've proven it along with many others that it is effective. It works. And, um, you know, I, I, I don't brag when I say I tend to pick out a lot of animals, but when I set my 15s on a tripod, I tend to pick out a lot of animals. So there's and some, I remember there's something when you didn't it, have so. 15s yeah. and, and you were, you were doing good with, without with them, just but, my tens, but. you know, you move up and then it's funny. We laugh at our friends that hunt with us and, you know, we give Brandon and Rick a bad time for not having a tripod and just finally you loan them one and they're like, Oh my God, I, I saw this and that yeah. and blah, blah, blah. Yeah. Brandon's got a full setup now. He's got, I sold him a stabilite. He's got a good tripod and he's got like a tin. So, you know, he's, he's got a good eye too. You he's, know, he's getting dangerous is what yeah, you're telling me. Absolutely. So cool. Well, good stuff, man. Thanks. Fantastic. For, thanks for sharing some time and uh, yeah. Optics to me, probably the most, underrated yet most important piece of equipment you can put in your pack absolutely and hopefully we'll see y'all on the road at one of the shows be it the the sci or dallas or um western you know western hunting expo nra NRA convention one of those hopefully we'll uh, be all over and and be able to get some more good content for you and uh happy holidays to everybody and make sure to tell the people that you love, that you love them because life is short and life is precious and it moves by way too fast. With that, thank you.
Bit of do. Excellent. Good stuff, man. Thanks, LP. All right. Be good, folks. Ciao. Hey, everyone. This is Lucas Paw, host of the RNA Outdoors podcast. Please check out Podbean and iTunes. If you have an iPhone or iPad, go to the podcast app on your device, search for RNA Outdoors, and hit the purple subscribe button. When doing this, it will automatically upload when new podcasts are loaded and they will download into your queue. For Android users, you can access the podcast through Podbean, Stitcher, or use our website, www.rnaoutdoors.com forward slash podcast. In addition, under the RNA Outdoors podcast channel, please leave a review and a five-star rating. These reviews help boost our popularity and outreach. You can also follow us on our social media outlets, Twitter at RNA Outdoors, Facebook, RNA Outdoors, and Instagram, Rod and Arrow Outdoors. All links are in the show notes as well. If you like what you've heard, we hope you'll pass along our channel to your friends and colleagues. Keep up the good fight. We cannot sit by and watch the public lands devoted to wildlife protection wither away. There's simply too much at stake. Make your voice heard, speak up, and get involved with conservation efforts. And know that every little bit helps. As we say on the mountain, go farther, stay longer. <laughs>